don't know about you, you, I'm picturing the children's ministry, like the, it's like a cross between children's ministry and Hunger Games next week, like all competing for those few spots. So we'll, uh, we'll be praying into that. Or maybe we should just video it. That could be fun. We'll just live stream it, see, uh, see what happens there. Well, good. Well, welcome, you guys, to Vision 2020. I mean, can you believe it here on Pentecost Sunday? So I'm going to start it off like this. You guys ready? Oh, hold on. I guess we're still kind of doing offering here. I hate to everybody missing my intro, right? So, all right. We'll just, uh, what can we talk about? What do you guys want to talk about? All right. I want you to listen to a story because uh, it actually happened. There was a community of believers that decided together they would live their lives radically devoted to God. 95% devotion wasn't enough. They determined to submit fully and follow God in every way. They agreed to love one another irrationally, meeting each other's needs, making sure no brother or sister lived without. They took off their masks so they could know and be known. Passionately concerned about those outside the family of God, they reached out to lost people, regardless of the consequences. They prayed fervently that they would have the boldness to proclaim the gospel, even if it cost them their lives. This group became so well-known for the way they loved and lived, they lived such an attractive life that people from the poor to the rugged working class to the unbelievably wealthy would leave everything to follow Jesus. Healing, signs, and wonders became a way of life, and everyone was struck with awe at what God was doing in their midst. Stories of the miracles filled the city, and the name of Jesus was held in high esteem by everyone. Witches and warlocks wanted to buy the power of God because it was so visible. And with the spirit in charge, they worshipped God continually and honored him by using their spiritual gifts. Everyone played a critical role, and everyone was important. And without a building or a budget or political power, 12 men who had been with Jesus continued his movement and spread the gospel throughout the known world in one generation. The reports from unbelievers were that these men had turned the world upside down. Guys, this is our history. This is our story. The baton's been passed to us. Listen to how Acts chapter 2 puts it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Boy, they made it pretty simple back then, didn't they? Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. That was the result of what happened on the day of Pentecost. And it's interesting, we didn't plan this, but today, here it is, the day of Pentecost again. This is, uh, this is Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar. This is how the church began 2,000 years ago. It's interesting, when uh, the temple was dedicated, the fire fell, and, uh, fell on the, the temple and, con- and uh, convinced everybody that God was there. It's interesting, when the church was born, the fire fell again. Tongues of fire on people filled them, and we became the temple. I saw a bumper sticker on the, pa- on the back of a pastor's car that I really respect, and the- here's what the bumper sticker said. Shift happens. Now, many of you, you're sensing that there's something in the air. There's change in the air. Maybe you feel like this holy dissatisfaction, like there's just something wrong with church. Like, I love Jesus. We love Zion. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. And anyway, <clears throat> love Jim and Mary. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. And so, um, 
but there's just something inside. It's like something has to change. It's like, you know, I'm not sure that I want to give the next 20 years of my life to doing things as is. And it's, I don't think it's wrong. I actually think it's the Holy Spirit. It's funny, some of you, before we even started announcing that we we're going to be making changes, you're like, I'm having these prophetic dreams. We're having this prophetic. You guys were sending it to us. We're like, oh, my gosh, God's already letting it out of the bag. It's already happening. <laughs> prophetic people. <laughs> I want to say this, that what we did in the last season was good and necessary and right. And what I'm going to say, too, is uh, what we're looking to do as a church, we're not recommending for other churches. We are not saying that this is the way that people should do church uh, it remains to be seen and see in the way that we're supposed to do it, okay? We feel like we have enough to go on that we're going to say yes to it, and uh, how it works out is help us Jesus, all right? So uh, the last season was good. It's just like a farmer. There's a season for planting. If they don't put that seed in the ground, the next season doesn't make any sense. But there's a time where it becomes that it's no longer about putting seed in the ground. It's about reaping the harvest, the season that we just came out of was one about equipping and transforming and valuing God's presence and creating a culture of heaven invading earth. That was absolutely necessary. But for us to continue doing that, I feel like we'd be missing the next thing that God wants us to get into. We're in a season shift. It's a shift from coming to church to being the church. And it's going to require a shift in structure and the way that we do things. Francis Chan, he has a must-read book called Letters to the Church. So somebody's already read it, apparently. So, uh, yeah. So, so, and so um, I would encourage everybody, uh, by the time this message is over, I'm going to encourage everybody to read Francis Chan, Letters to the Church, and to see the movie Madagascar. But we're going to get to that here in a little bit. <laughs> Deeply theological movie. Francis Chan, he writes this. There's a simple exercise I walk through with church leaders. First, I have them list all the things that people expect from their church. They usually list obvious things like really good services, age-specific ministries, a certain style of worship, a well-communicated sermon, conveniences such as parking, clean building, coffee, child care. Now hand sanitizer, we've got to add to it. Then I have them list all the commands God gave the church in Scripture. Usually they mention commands like love one another, visit orphans and widows in their distress, make disciples of all nations, bear one another's burdens, etc. I then ask them, what would upset their people more? If the church didn't provide the things from the first list or if the church didn't obey the commands on the second list. I believe that we've built the church, the best church that man can build. I don't believe that we built the best church that Jesus has dreamed of. I believe that there's a danger in making church all about us, no matter how loud we shout or hard we dance. It becomes about our preferences. And when we hear about Better preferences down the street, better children's ministry, better shorter services, better small groups, wherever they might be, we jump ship and go over there because it's about us. How are we doing? Another part of his book, he says this, I want you to imagine yourself stranded on a desert island with nothing but a copy of the Bible. You have no experience with Christianity whatsoever, and all you know about the church will come from your reading of the Bible. How would you imagine a church to function? Seriously. Close your eyes and try to picture church as you would know it. Now think about church in America today. Is it even close? And can you even live with that? Jesus actually gave us commands of what the church was supposed to look like, and they weren't suggestions. Jesus did not die so that we could spend two hours on Sunday and call that church. 
That's not the bride. The church that Jesus is building is not a vendor of religious goods and services for people to come and consume for two hours a week. Are we doing okay? All right. The church that Jesus is building is the hope of the world, and it goes way beyond Sundays. Again, guys, I'm not saying last season was bad. I'm just saying for us to stay in that last season, my wife won't come to church anymore. <laughs> Something has to shift. She didn't say that, but I'm inferring it. The church that Jesus is building is an unstoppable force. It cannot be stopped. I believe that if you were to sum up in a single word what God is doing on planet Earth, it's the word community. A community has to go beyond loneliness avoidance. It's the reason the universe exists. It's actually the reason you and I exist. Dallas Willard puts it like this. God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons, with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. I know that's a little bit of a mouthful, but that's how Dallas talks. I want us to read this again. God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons, with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. God has never been saving individuals for heaven. That's never been his plan. He's been creating a people for his name. He creates man in his own image. He says, you know what? This isn't good enough because it's not really in my image because God himself exists in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, angelic hosts. So it wasn't good enough for him to save an individual because that's never been part of his plan. He's always been about a people who in their life together would reflect and represent what Jesus is really like. It's interesting. Jesus said, they'll know they are Christians by their doctrine. No. (laughs) They'll know they are Christians by how long they worship. They'll know they are Christians by their... Name me five churches in America that are known for their love. Name me one. You can name ones that are known for great preaching, for great worship, for great program experiences, but to name one that's actually supposed to be how we're supposed to be known, it's difficult. How we doing? I'll take my prophet hat out and I'll tell you some cool stories here in a second. <laughs> after, the, after the flood, God's plan to redeem humanity was a covenant community. Guys, before we ever get to the cross, we got a thousand pages of Old Testament community. Listen to John 17, Jesus, this is the night before he's uh, to be crucified. And his humanity, this is the most difficult time. What do you think you'd be praying about if you're about to get crucified? Oh, Lord, don't let it hurt. Lord, let me, you know, this and that. That's what I'd be praying. Here's what Jesus is praying. He's praying for you and I, that we would live in community. John 17, verse 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will ever believe in me through their message. So it wasn't just for the 12, he's talking about us. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is that community with him as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Verse 22, I've given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity, are you ready for this, that the world will know that you sent me. What's going to convince them? Our amazing Easter programs with live animals? I'm not speaking against it. I'm just saying it ain't done it yet. Something we haven't tried is this. Perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me 
and that you love them as much as you love me. The unity of the church testifies whether Jesus actually loves them or not. Is it a wonder why they're not listening? There was a community who did it 2,000 years ago, guys, without a building budget or political power. Community is such a huge deal. It's literally the thing he's praying about as he's getting ready to go and endure the cross. I believe there's a war raging against community in America and in the church. But Jesus prayed, let them be one in us. There's over 51 another's in the New Testament. This is interesting. Accept one another. Be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Don't complain against one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Honor one another. All these things. There's not many of them that can be done on a two-hour service on a Sunday morning. Maybe block one another's vision of the overhead words. I mean, that's about it. Maybe, you know. Other than that, it's difficult to do it in, a, in the 15 minute of pleasantries before and after service. Are we okay? Just breathe in, breathe out. We're not too close because people are, you know, six feet. Shallow deep breaths. Do shallow deep breaths. I want you to get this. These one another's are commands and not suggestions. Honor one another. You can't do that listening to one person talk. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Sadly, the structure of the American church makes it so that, guys, I'm not blaming anything. I'm saying the way that we're structured makes it so that we have no more relationship with each other than we do with a stranger at a Buckeyes game. We're in the same building. We're cheering for the same thing, but we don't really know each other. How are we doing? Oh, that part's coming. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm just wading into the water. I'll splash you here in a second. <laughs> Jesus did not die for an audience. He sowed his son to reap a family. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a little time to describe what that will look like, and then I'm going to give you the punchline of uh, the transition for Zion. So I'm going to tease you for a little bit. Okay, you guys all right? Don't tease me. Oh, man, that was a good one. The church is a place where nobody stands alone. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to describe to you a biblically functioning community and hopefully whetting your appetite and hopefully making you nervous enough to see that there's a price to pay to go here. Guy, it may not matter much right now, but there will be a day where the only thing that matters was how we did in obeying his commands. What will you give your one and only life to? Jesus gave it for the birth of the church. I'm not, and the church is people on a mission. We've got to redefine it. It's not two hours on a Sunday. It's not a person, place, or thing. Person, I go to Rod Parsley's church. Place, I go to Zion. Um, thing, how was church today? Meaning that two hours. That's not the church. Jesus did not die for that. But he did die for the church that we're trying to, that we're trying to describe and that he dreams of. There will be a day where that is the only thing that matters is how, how did we do in obedience to his commands. The church is a place where nobody stands alone. Listen, guys, our hearts cry for deep community. I mean, I think it's interesting that show friends. Why do you think it was so big? Everyone's like, I want that. <laughs> I want people, you know, the cheers. Everybody knows your name. Like, like, what was it about that? I mean, it was perverted. It was ridiculous and everything. But it tapped into something where, like, I want somebody to know me like that. I want people to have my back. 
One of the descriptions of the church is the body of Christ. And here's the thing about the body. Each part is unique, but it's still part of the same body. I want you guys to look around here. Just turn your heads, use your swivel there for a second. Have you noticed people are a little bit different? The way they dress, the way they look, the way they smell, the way, all that stuff. The way they talk, the way they walk, people are different. Guys, we need diversity. Discipleship is not everyone look like the senior pastor. The discipleship is everyone look like Jesus and all his beauty and all his majesty. As the church, we have an opportunity to represent something to this city that they are craving in this hour. Unity in the midst of diversity. Where identity doesn't come from a political party, from our status of wealth, where it doesn't come from what color of our skin, doesn't come from... It becomes from the, our primary identity is I am in Christ. This is how I'm seeing the world. My wife and I, we actually were part of a community. We uh, started a young, a young adults group, um, oh, late 90s, early 2000s. And things were really moving along in this direction. It was actually pretty amazing. I remember one time we, uh, we had some meetings in our house and God was just showing up. We were just taking off the masks and doing life together. And it was super messy and super glorious, and probably the strongest presence of God I've ever felt on a daily basis. You see places in the Bible where it says, and great grace was upon them all. And we actually experienced that. I remember Mary and I, we returned to each other. It says, it's almost like the grace of God is tangible because we needed a supernatural kind of love. I remember there was a, a black supremacist in our group named CJ. He was an underground DJ for some dance clubs or something like that, and he hated white people, and he decided to come to our group. Then we had a guy named Eric who was a white supremacist. He hated black people, and he came to our group. And I remember we were uh, worshiping in our driveway, and there was great grace upon us all. And the power of God hits Eric, and he falls out under the power of God in our driveway with no catcher. And I watched the white supremacist lay on his back, and as he came to CJ, the former black supremacist, picks him up, and the two of them hug, weeping in our driveway. Yeah, it's incredible. Guys, our city needs to see more of that. They don't need it from CNN. They don't need it from Antifa. They don't need it from all these other places. They need to see it in the church because everything else is a counterfeit. Everything else is coming around what we can agree on rather than whose we are. The church has the answers to city problems. Imagine a church where there's no big shots, no celebrities, nobody who lords it over others, no nobodies. Just a bunch of free, confident little children. In Luke 14, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a party. It's like a banquet, except everybody's invited, not just the haves. The poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled, the excluded, the misfits, the rejects, they all get invited. And he says the kingdom of God, you know what it's like? It's like community. It's like an utterly loving, inclusive community. And everybody is prized. And people are struck with wonder at the beauty of every person they see. And nobody looks unattractive because we've all learned to see what God sees, the value of each person. Another thing the church is, the church is a place where you can know and be known. In God's community, there should be no more hiding, no more masks. It's just people. Every single person in here struggles with sin, does stupid things, says stupid things, then comes to God for forgiveness and confesses and gets back up and moves forward and fouls up again. Can I get an Amen. amen. I'm not condoning a lifestyle of sin or sin being normal. I'm just saying I have yet to meet the person who's reached sinless perfection. You haven't met him here. 
People don't have to pretend there's something they're not. God intends for people to live in the light. James put it this way, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What if some of the healings in our church is being held back because people keep the mask on because we haven't created an environment safe enough for them to not feel like they're going to get gossiped about? How are we doing? What's James talking about? He's talking about living in open, authentic, biblical community. Now, there's appropriate confession. I don't say you should just get on a microphone and confess it to everybody, but there's, there's a place for biblically confessing your sin in a way that brings healing. It's possible for people to attend the same church, to be in the same group, revival community, whatever that might be, to talk to the same people and talk about the Buckeyes and the weather or even the Bible month after month without anybody knowing them. Nobody knows that they're struggling with the pattern of sin that's destroying their soul. And guys, this is a mockery of God's community and what he came to die for. You can stay in hiding. You don't have to engage in community. Or you can come to the light and know and be known and get healed. It's up to you. And that, um, and that uh, environment that I was talking about, the young adults group that Mary and I had for a couple of years, I remember there was a girl in there. She was a new believer. And um, I'm not sure if you guys realize new believers, they aren't perfect yet, if you haven't realized that. This girl had recently come to the Lord, and um, the night before, she uh, went and slept with her old boyfriend and was feeling pretty bad about it. One of the most important things when somebody is a new believer or an old believer is you have to break shame off of them. Shame will have them put on fig leaves and hide from God. Shame will try to ride you like a pony and have you try to ride away from the Lord. And so I remember it was something so beautiful. Mary and I, I think Mary might have been in the room to witness it. I wasn't in there, but it was a group of girls got around her, and she's confessing her sin. And there was such grace and such truth that came around. This was, a, this was an area of struggle that she'd had for years. And uh, so she, she slipped back. And the community that came around her gave her such grace and such truth and in the perfect mixture that she actually got, actually got free of that and has never struggled with it since then. She's got a beautiful family now. Everything's happening. But if she would, what would happen if she would have stayed hidden? Transforma- transformation happens in the soil of community. Guys, all the fruit of the Spirit, they happen in community. They don't happen in your prayer closet. Love, joy, peace, patience. You can have patience by yourself, really? <laughs> Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All the fruit of the Spirit are developed in community, and they come from people who are exhibiting the exact opposite characteristic of that fruit. I wish there was a fruit tunnel we could do. We could just lay hands, and it's like, love, oh, joy, this is awesome. And you come to the end of the tunnel, and someone's there waving a flag and hits you in the face, and there it goes. I got to practice patience. You didn't get enough in the tunnel. The church is a place where you can love and be loved. In America, you, people can go to a building on Sunday and attend church for an hour or two, depending on their church, and call themselves members of the church. Guys, this is normal. This is what we all grew up with. Do you see anywhere in Scripture where people went to church? Can you imagine a scenario where Paul's like, hey, Peter, well, what church are you going to? Oh, I'm going to the uh, Christian Community Church of Jerusalem. Okay, how's the preaching there? Eh, I'm not, sure I'm, really, I'm not sure I'm really getting fed there. How about your church? Oh, we got Apollos at our church. Ooh, Apollos. I heard he's good. Yeah, he's real good. He's real good. You should come over there. How the children's ministry? Eh, I don't know, man. I, 
You guys got a singles ministry over there in the Jerusalem church? <laughs> guys, this has become normal for us. We become the, every sermon becomes like wine, and we are the wine connoisseurs tasting every vintage. We give our opinion on everything from the Uber driver to the sermon, to the church, to the children's ministry, to how friendly they were. Guys, it's not all about you and your preferences and your opinion. It's about the church that Jesus died for. I had a several-hour car ride with a friend who came out of a gang here in Columbus. Uh, recently, we were in a car. And I'm, I, I didn't come out of gang life, in case you didn't know that. And so um, <laughs> the country club was kind of like a gang, but not like a gang. But, and so I'm asking him questions. I'm fascinated by this gang life, you know. And so um, it's interesting. He kept referring to them as they were like a family. Now, I understand there are some perversion to the family. You have to get beat into the gang, you know, and you have drive-by shootings and drugs and things like that. And so it's not exactly like a family, but it was what struck me is this family had his back. That one of the hardest things for him when he got saved and left the gang was leaving that sense of family. Isn't that interesting? Every week we ask each other, how was church? Can you imagine someone saying, how was gang? How was gang this week? as if they could reduce gang to a two-hour meeting once a week and then go and live their lives apart from each other the rest of the week. That would never cross our minds because the gang is like a family. But church isn't like a family. It's like a production that we attend. And it better be good or I'm not coming back. I'm not giving you my money. You better have cradle-to-the-grave programming or we're going somebody else, somewhere else. Vendors of religious goods and services produces consumers who will not change the planet. They'll just tick off the unbelievers. That's all they're going to do with their Facebook posts. Anyway. How many of you guys realize family's messy? You're amening for the very thing that's going to make your life miserable and happy. <laughs> I heard this phrase years ago from a writer named Ron Mortoya, and he said this. He said, people will belong before they believe. People will belong before they will believe. Long before many people will ever have their shadow come in, into this building, they will belong to a community, to a group, to a family, to a friendship of a believer way before they ever hear me. I remember when we were, uh, we were on staff in Winston-Salem, it was at, the, at that same church, we had the same young adults group, and there was a young man who had come out of a gang life um, named Jose. And Jose uh, was a drug dealer. He had, um, he had brought, uh, what, 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 I'm so out of the drug scene, I don't even know what the drug was. He brought so, ecstasy, I think he brought ecstasy to the Charlotte area. He was one of the big major dealers there. And uh, he showed up at a church on a, uh, Easter Sunday morning. He came to church on Easter and Christmas. His girlfriend dragged him there. He didn't want to go. They were living together. She was making his life miserable if he wouldn't go to church with her. So he comes to church, and God hits him. God hits him there at the church. He's convicted, and he doesn't know what to do about it. And so uh, he calls the church, and they're like, send him to Baker. And so um, <laughs> like Baker's kind of doing the young adults. This guy's like in his 20s. Send him to Baker. And so um, I just did what I normally do. I'm like, hey, let's go out to eat. 
you know, safer there since you're in a gang, you know, anyway, people, anyway. And so um, we go out to eat. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and so uh, why is this serpent? All right. Anyway. And so uh, we go out to eat, and I, just, uh, and I just do what I do with a lot of people. I'm like, tell me your story. And uh, the story he told was so different from the story that I had. And uh, he's actually maybe the smartest person I've ever met. I met some really smart people, and his intellect was just at a, another level. And uh, he had questions that I didn't even have answers to, questions. And so we would read books together, and we would uh, answer questions. And so I didn't know what to do with him, so I just decided to make him part of our family. And so he started coming over for dinner every night because he didn't have a family. His family was really dysfunctional. And uh, I remember our kids started calling him Uncle Jose. And uh, I remember this one. I remember this one birthday party we got um, Wesley, uh, one of those Spider-Man shooters, and it shoots out the silly string. And, um, you know, Jose's not saved. And um, <laughs> I remember Wesley's like, hey, look what this does. You know, he's like four or five, you know. And he sprayed the whole thing in his face. <laughs> And, um, but he was part of the family. He was Uncle Jose. And I don't remember where it was in the process, but um, he said, you know what, I want this Jesus that, that you guys serve. And we said, we want you to know him too. And he actually ended up getting saved and becoming one of the leaders in our group after a number of months of discipling him. And um, so then his, his brothers, they, they, had, they had it rough. They had a really rough go of it, of just the way that they were raised and the environment and and so the one brother is living with a girl. They've got two kids, and their kids are about to get taken away from them because the brother and the, the girlfriend, they're homeless. And so they have to go to court, and they didn't have clothes that were proper for court. And so he was tall and skinny, and I said, hey, I've got a suit for you. Um, Mary had some church clothes. You know, we're at a church where they dressed up more, and so we, she had some dressed-up clothes. And so they put on our dressed-up clothes, and I said, hey, just let me go to court with you. So we had about a 45-minute drive in another city, so I went up to court. And as we're, as we're listening, uh, I'm listening to the case, I'm realizing they don't have a place to stay. Their kids are going to be taken away. They had a place to stay in about 30 days, but in that 30-day gap, their kids are going to get put in the system. It would have been a nightmare to try to get the kids back. I mean, how scary is that? Their kids are about the same age as our kids, about four or five, three or four. And so um, they said, uh, listen, do you have anyone who can speak for you or anyone who can give you a place to stay? And I'm realizing it's me. And so uh, I stand up in the court. I said, Your Honor, I said, uh, my wife and I will take them in. And they said, well, um, can your wife have the house ready in 30 minutes? We're sending over now, or 45 minutes, wherever it was. We're sending over an inspector to make sure that everything's safe. And I remember making the call to Mary and uh, saying, sweetheart, I'm at, remember, I didn't run this buyer. I said, sweetheart, um, here's what's going on. They're the, all four of them are going to come live with us. I don't know how long, maybe a month. The inspector's going to be there in 30 minutes, and I'll never forget her answer. The house will be ready. Because they were family. And I remember their kids were brats. <laughs> <laughs> They're beating up our kids. They're stealing their toys. Our kids were used to nothing but loving kindness, <laughs> gentle wrestling matches with dad, video games, you know. 
And I remember there was great grace upon us all. The kids even felt it. The kids knew that they were part of something special. John 13, verses 34 and 35. So I give you now a new commandment. Love each other as much as I have loved you. Love each other as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. Jesus said the way that this world's going to know is by the way that we love each other. I know a lot of you are thinking, it'd be so easy to love if it just wasn't for people. (laughs) I agree. But we need a supernatural kind of love that goes beyond just hanging out with our buddies and people who have the same interests. The church is a place where you can serve and be served. Acts 4, 32 through 35. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed they had any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything and had everything in common. And they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord. Isn't it interesting? Every time they get generous, the power gets amped up. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land... I want you to see this. It wasn't socialism. This wasn't where everyone was like, okay, everybody, we're selling everything. It says from time to time, the Spirit would put it on people's hearts and they would respond. This wasn't some law. This was freedom. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money to this, uh, from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I remember in uh, one of those groups, there was a, um, a married couple and the woman had come out of a lifestyle of drugs and as a result of her drugs, she had lost all of her teeth and so she was super embarrassed by it. Um, you know, she would never do a full smile. She covered her mouth a lot. Uh, she didn't like to go for job interviews. She just, she didn't like any of that stuff. And uh, the group fell in love with her, and they sold possessions and bought her dentures. Isn't that amazing? When the neighbors of the woman who received the dentures heard about this, they said, I've never heard of a church like that. And they said, we want to become part of it. They ended up becoming part of the group, and they ended up getting saved. It's just like the Bible. The church is a place where you can celebrate and be celebrated. Part of us being a prophetic culture is us seeing the gold and not the dirt. Now, I foolishly invested in a gold mine years ago, um, not suggesting it, not offering it to you, repenting of it. Anyway, but what I, I would get excited, I would not get excited about all the dirt. I got excited when they actually discovered gold, okay? A lot of people in churches, they get excited by the dirt. Did you hear about so-and-so? Listen, I'm just a safe place for somebody to come and process with. No, you're a safe place for somebody to commit sin with. If you're listening to gossip, you're in sin. I don't care how safe you are. If you're not saying, hey, hey, why are you telling me? The Bible says, you go tell that person. You're not a safe person. You're enabling sin, and you're in sin, and it destroys community, and it's a mockery of what Jesus came to pay for. How are we doing? In case you didn't get it, do not listen to negative reports. Say, listen, I don't, um, have you had a chance to talk to so-and-so? No, I haven't. Well, then why are you telling me? Send them packing. Hey, listen, if you want to really, really do it right, I'll give you three days 
And if you don't talk to them, I'm going to call them and tell them you guys have got a problem. You need to talk. Jim, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, if you're more comfortable with sin than you are obedience, God bless you. How are they going to know, Jesus said, how are they going to know you're my disciples? If you obey my commands. Boy, I'm getting prophetic here. Maybe you need to quit fooling yourself. Maybe you've just been hanging around Christian culture. How are we doing? I'm just going for it today, all right? I think it's the sport coat. It's giving me extra courage. I feel like I'm a little more hidden here or something. I don't know. <laughs> Guys, we all need people who can call out the gold and not the dirt. We need people who will remind us, remind us of who we really are because we often forget. We need, so I love prophetic words because it enables me to see people as how God sees them. I don't, you've never heard a prophetic word where it's like, um, things are going to get worse, you know, you've already peaked, you know, your best days are behind you, you know, like, it's always like, things are, things are better than they think, God's up to something behind the scenes, and it's like, I don't know, it's like, man, I didn't really see this person like that, God, thank you for lifting up my eyes. Guys, we need that in community, we need that. I remember there was a time, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I don't know, where I was ready to quit the church. Like, quit Zion. Like, stop pastoring. Like, I'm so sick of being bitten by sheep. Sick. Okay? Like, it's my calling, and I'm willing to walk away from my calling because I'm so sick of getting hurt by people. Okay? And so, Mary and I are literally wrestling through, how do we do this? How, how, do, we, how do we walk this out? And I get a call from a spiritual father. And I don't know how else to explain it, but it was like I was deflated, and I told him what was going on. I said, Pastor, it was my pastor, Cleddy. I said, Pastor, I'm, I'm done. You know, I told him the story. He took a deep breath, and he said, I understand. Then he took a deeper breath, and he said, man didn't bring you into that church. Man can't make you leave. You'll leave when God tells you you can leave. You've got a calling on this city, and he begins to remind me who I am. And it was like, it's like I got inflated. It was like the scales fell off my eyes. I'm like, what am I doing? I've got a calling here. We're not done yet. Guys, we need those people in our lives. You need to be those people in someone else's life. That's part of the church. Finally, the church is a family on a mission. You guys have heard me tell this, uh, first, this uh, story before. The um, first mission trip I ever went on was to El Salvador. And uh, it was glorious. And uh, if you've ever been on a mission trip, they're usually part hard, part glorious. You know, the physical conditions, the toilet situations... I don't know what it is, but like day six, we're all just talking about our bowel movements openly. We're just like, what is happening? I don't even, I'm not suggesting we go to that level. But here's what I do know, is that I was around a group of people that I probably never would have normally hung out with. They weren't in my orbit. These weren't people who we all were like, would have normally hung out with. But because we were on a mission together, because we were unified, we became family for that short time. Now, when we got back home, there was no structure for us to stay family, and so we kind of, we had a little bit closer relationship, maybe a little extra hug, but we lost it, but I'm saying there was no structure for it. But can you imagine if there was a structure where church could be like that? I remember when I got home from that, I remember just loving these people. We were bearing each other's burdens, you know, carrying bags. People were getting sick, and we were helping. I mean, it was just, we were all for each other. There was no time for gossip. We were on a mission. There, were, there was hard conditions. I mean, we're walking to an island, you know, we're 
we're carrying this canoe and knee-deep mud trying to get to the water so we can paddle to this island to go share the gospel. And there's no time for complaining. There's no time for whining. There's no time about Jim didn't pay attention to me. There's no time for the length of the worship service when you're on a mission. A soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs. Guys, we can't get lulled to sleep. There is a battle for people's souls. There are lost people who will never know Jesus if you and I do not shine and open our mouths and live out loud. I remember getting back from that. I remember the Lord said, Jim, that's what it's supposed to feel like. It's supposed to feel like a family on a mission. Maybe you've heard me talk about EFOM, Extended Family on a Mission. I got all these you know, bad acronyms. But um, I'll never forget that. And so what I believe we need to do is we actually need to structure the church so that can happen more. How many of you guys saw the movie Madagascar? Powerful movie. <laughs> it's one of those rare movies we can watch as a Christian because it's clean. Yeah, there's a little weird thing happening with the hippo. We're not all sure what that was about. <laughs> but it was mostly clean. It was mostly clean. So in the movie, you got, it opens up, and you've got these animals in the zoo, and they are, they're living the life. They're being taken care of. I mean, they're bringing them steak. They're eating the steak. They're spitting out the little T-bone in there, and they're having their hair blowing dry. They're getting ready for a birthday party, and like the zebra's like jogging on the treadmill, and like, like they are domesticated. But then they would go out, and they would kind of put on a show. The lion would roar, and everyone would be amazed, and they would go back into the zoo. Our churches are like zoos where we domesticate wild animals. The animals, they just wanted to be left in their cages and have their weekly feedings for two hours on Sunday. They wanted food brought to them so they could play it safe. But the zebra knew he was made for something more. God bless Chris Rock. You remember his character, the zebra? He knew they were made for something more. He, would, he began to cast a vision for what it was like in the wild and how great it was going to be. Now, of course, they needed the help of the penguins to break out of there. And so they, they made the trip to Madagascar. You remember, they get to Africa, and they are scared to death. They see these wild animals. It's, it's scary out there. And uh, the, uh, the, remember, the, um, the zebra is trying to help the lion even learn how to run. No, you've got to use all four. Remember, <laughs> he's doing like that because he's like walking around upright and so domesticated. <laughs> and remember, there's the one scene, though where the lion, uh, played by Ben Stiller, he gets his roar. And all of his animal instincts begin to come back. Remember, he starts to try to eat the zebra, and he's like, hey, no, don't do that. And... The lion kept saying, uh, here's what the zebra was telling him. Now, this is what you were made for. This is what you were made for. Listen, guys, we've been given the Spirit of God without limit. But we settle for putting our kids in children's cages and saying, you feed them. We put our youth in youth cages and we say, you feed them. We put ourselves in cages and we say, feed me. Oh, this meal isn't good enough. I'm going to go over here. The Holy Spirit is like the zebra showing you that you are made for so much more than weekly feedings at a church. I'm not saying it's not dangerous in the jungle. There's people who are literally losing their life for their faith every single day on this planet. But I'm not sure if you remember what you signed up for. Leave all, sell all, give all. That's the entrance requirement of a disciple. It's not an advanced level course. Guys, this is what we were born for. You were born for the jungle. Imagine you're a missionary and you're going to a foreign country. What are you going to do? Man, you, 
You're going to have your identity in that. You're not going to try to get comfortable and uh, just try, try to blend in and live the good life. No, no, you're, you're there for a reason. You're not there for comfort. You're not there for anything else. You are there on a mission, right? It's going to affect your relationships, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, okay? I want you to have that same mentality, but you get to live in the same spot you live in right now. You are a missionary. You are there not for comfort. You're not there to just pay your bills, You're not there to just be a good citizen and vote right. You are a missionary to change planet Earth. Here's the good news is you don't have to do it by yourself. You've got a family around you. We need to recapture our identity as missionaries, you personally and us corporately. So here's where we're making our changes. Here's the punchline. We need two wings of an airplane. The Bible says that they met in temple courts and they met house to house. We're not going to stop meeting uh, corporately together. We're just going to not do it as often. Starting in August, it will be, we'll be meeting on the first Sunday of the month corporately, the third Sunday of the month corporately, and that's it. The other Sundays, what we're going to do is we're going to have you meet as the church. You can meet on a Sunday. You can meet on other days, but you're going to meet house to house. You're going to adopt your neighborhoods if that's what you want to do. What would happen to the city if everyone in this room just began to love their neighbor? Jim, who's my neighbor? Well, it probably starts with people in your house. Probably involves people that you're around every single day. Maybe people at work. Maybe people in your physical neighborhood. What effect would that have if we began to meet them? My wife and I got super convicted. You know, during the winter, you know, you don't see your neighbors as much. And so when it got a little warmer, we were talking to our next door neighbor. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? He's like, well, hey, I'm recovering from that heart surgery. I had a heart attack in December, and we had open heart surgery. I think it was March maybe April, before we even knew. And we're like, God, we are, we are not loving our neighbors. If we'd have been loving our neighbors, we would have known that would have happened. We would have began to serve them. I want you guys to get this. This is not a gimmick. This is about doing and being the church differently. If your takeaway is, oh, we're going to do two Sundays less, that's not the takeaway. We're structuring it so that you have time so that we are actually putting our money where our mouth is and saying this is so important that we're willing to do less of something good so that we can do what we feel like we're really called to do. We actually structure ourselves to obey the commands of Christ, to become a biblically functioning community that models love and unity to the world and is so attractive that people want in and that you actually have time to love your neighbors. Listen, guys. People will busy themselves with whatever they want, and a lot of times they blame it on the church. They quit going to church, and their life is just as busy. So it's going to take some personal responsibility. It's interesting, and in Acts 2 it says they devoted themselves. Guys, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take people who are devoted and intentional to saying, I'm going to pursue God's dream on earth, and I'm going to love lost people. I'm going to love my neighbor. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to give you time for that. It's not about doing church less because church is not two hours on a Sunday morning. It's about being the church more intentionally. All right, last illustration. I'm going to close this out here. I recently went to a kinesiologist. And so they they do weird things to your body. These doctors, this one was a different cat. But he was really good. And so he would do things. He would like hold my arm out and he's like, he's like, grandma strength. I, mean, I didn't get it at first, and I'm like, hold on, he's mocking me. <laughs> and so he hold my arm out, grandma's strength, and he's like, let's see where the problem is. And so I remember he turned my neck this way, and then I had the strength come back. He's like, okay, the problem's in your neck. 
And uh, he kept saying, uh, so he would do different things on my legs and different things, grandma strength. And then, then he'd like shift something. He said, let's open the floodgates. And he'd do this, had the strength back. Okay, there's the problem. He was able to diagnose based on what, I did, what my body said. I feel like the church has walked in grandma strength for a long time because we haven't had the proper alignment. We haven't had the floodgates open of community because we've done church, we limited it to two hours on a Sunday morning rather than this is who we are 24-7. I'm on a mission and I've got a group of people around me and it's about taking back the planet. Not by force, but by love. Christians are always best when we're serving, not when we're lording it over people. They devoted themselves. So Jim, what is it gonna look like? What are we gonna be doing in these homes? Lots of options. Don't think restrictions, think freedom. You could um, get together and have, uh, devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Read scripture out loud in your group and talk about it. What if the Bible really was living and active and powerful and could change your life and just didn't have to be retaught by somebody? Maybe you could devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that was a group. Maybe you could read the book of Hebrews out loud and talk about it. Maybe you could worship. Maybe you could listen to a teaching and talk about it. Maybe you could have a meal and share each other's lives. Maybe you, guys, there's this, maybe you could have food trucks into your neighborhood. And uh, this year's we're doing that. And so um, having parties in your neighborhood and loving on your neighbors. One good experience with, here's what a person of peace is. Remember Jesus said, find a person of peace in the city. Remember that in uh, Matthew like 9 or 10? A person of peace is someone who knows you're a Christian and likes you anyway. <laughs> one good experience with a contagious Christian can undo 10 bad experiences with a religious one. So some of it might be you just adopting your neighborhood and cooking out in your front yard and making extra for people and inviting them over or having a block party or we'll give you lots of ideas. We're going to have a resource bank online, but here's what we need. We need spiritual moms and dads who can pastor this. In the Bible, they sent them out two by two. And so that's what we're going to do. We want these, uh, these communities. When you think revival community, I want us to expand the definition so that you're not trying to reproduce a mini church service. We're going to do worship. Then we're going to have a teaching. Then we're going to do this and that. It, it gets way more New Testament than that. We'll give you lots of ideas, but just can we just break open the boxes of traditional things and learn, think being the church. And guess what? We ain't know what that looks like right now. So we're going to have to learn together. We're going to have to give each other lots of grace. Okay? And so uh, two by twos, and so it could be a couple and a couple. It could be a single and a single. It could be a single and a couple. We don't, we don't have a prescription for this, but we just like the idea of sending them out two by two. So we're going to need a couple dozen groups. I'm picturing groups between four and 10, four and 20. Um, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff we can get into that. But if you're like, Jim, I'm interested in that. If you are, in your, uh, if you are 50 or over, I am 14 months from 50, so I'm... I'm feeling like 50 is young, very young, jubilee young. You're jubilee young, yes. And so um, uh, we need you. If you're a more seasoned believer and you've been walking with the Lord for years, I could cry, guys. We have never needed you more. And we are so thankful that you are still here, and I believe it's because God's called you here. We need those spiritual moms and dads who have walked with the Lord several steps ahead of the kids that are here and the kids who are coming in. Guys, we're getting all sorts of prophetic words about harvest, harvest, harvest. And so um, we need you here. And so please step up. And so if you're interested, we're going to have a, um, an interest meeting. So uh, are Brian and Jen LaCasco here? Brian and Jen, could you guys just stand up? Yeah. Yeah, Brian and Jen. 
They're having a fight right now. That's why they're sitting apart from each other. No, they're just kidding. They got kids in the middle. I'm just kidding. Divide and conquer. I get it. And so, um, but uh, Brian and Jen, they, they lead our revival communities. And so uh, out in the food trucks, just let them know that you're interested. And uh, we'll be doing a training at the end of June. We'll be doing a, a service in July where we're going to take the whole service. It's to be like a fair where you get to talk to different group leaders. We're going to have some fun with it. And uh, we'll help you get involved. But come August, we're looking to launch this thing. So uh, I know some of you are like, Jim, will this work? I've had people already ask me that. Jim, will this work? I don't know. By will this work, do you mean is the church going to grow in numbers? I'm not sure that's a measure of success. By will this work, will we be taking steps towards obeying Jesus and becoming the church he dreamed of? Yeah. Then it'll work. Jim, what are you guys going to do with the building since it'll be sitting open? Well, we're looking for ways to monetize it. If we can't monetize it, then we're going to get really creative with a $2 million asset. What kind of good could we do in the city with that kind of money? Everything's on the table, guys. You should be nervous. We are. <laughs> We're not doing this flippantly, God, but guys, but Jesus has a dream, and I want to stand before him, and I want to know that we did everything we could as a church. Let's stand for closing prayer. You guys ready? Pray this prayer with me. Help us, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Food trucks outside. Guys, we